You're listening to News Radio KMAN. Now back to the game with Mitch Fortner, David G, and Troy Coverdale. Hour two of the game, the game after work with Mitch Fortner and Travion Berklin rocking his work sweater with his name tag on it. We're going to get to Mitch Palm here in just a moment. Also waiting on the audio. I'm, I'm waiting for it to be sent to me. Uh, the Brett Yormark press conference. We will most likely, I'm sure I'll get it within the next 10 minutes, so we'll hopefully get it played back. Um, well, hopefully here in at around 525 as we get into uh, further into the second hour as we still plan on having a number one song of the day and ask us anything. Um, I hope somebody in the press conference asked him if the media gets to try all the, the new goops, all the good food that they're going to have at the uh, at the Big 12 tournament that starts actually here in, uh, here in less than an hour. There's like a uh, – there is a Baylor float, which is vanilla ice cream and Dr. Pepper. That's lame. You can do that anywhere. Cyclone tenderloin sandwich. Jayhawks mac and cheese. That actually looks amazing. Um, I'm a weirdo that actually, like, I don't know where I had it, but somebody at one point put, like, barbecue sauce on mac and cheese and threw, like, some like a, like a some chicken in there or something. It was really good. It was amazing. The K-State food item that you can get in the Big 12 tournament is called the K-State Wabash Cannon Dog. So a hot dog, obviously, but it's wrapped in bacon. It's a jumbo dog, and it's topped with wildcat purple relish. It does look pretty good. There's an Oklahoma taco. That is a taco you cannot eat at your at your seat. It's going to be a giant mess. Pistol Pete's OSU fried corn. Who wants to have corn at a ball game? That's not on the cob. Um, TCU loaded tots. That looks pretty good. Longhorn quesadilla. Uh, somebody brought it up. I saw the uh, message earlier. How did yeah? How did Texas Tech not get the tortilla option uh, on the menu? Makes p- p- plenty of sense. But TCU's uh, menu item is a is basically a bur- a burger with an onion ring on it. Um, which I be- isn't that like technically called a cowboy burger? Shouldn't that be Oklahoma State? Uh, and then finally, West Virginia got. Uh, I think they got shafted here. Uh, sliced pepperoni and mozzarella cheese sandwich like a roll it's like in a roll uh it's not that's not too special at all all right welcome back to the game it is hour number two uh coming up here in just a few moments and the t-mobile center in kansas city it'll be texas tank in west virginia tipping off and then oklahoma and oklahoma state will be tipping off at approximately 8 30 the winner of tcu or check that the winner of uh, texas tech and West Virginia will play KU tomorrow. The winner of Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, will play Texas tomorrow. But, of course, the Cats and uh, T.C. Horn Frogs will tip off at approximately 8.30 tomorrow night. Pre-game at approximately 7.30 here on K-Man. We will also have coverage of the K-State women's basketball team at the Municipal Auditorium in Kansas City as they play Texas Tech at 5 o'clock. Pre-game starts at 4.30. So we will not have a show the next two days. I'll be in Kansas City. No show tomorrow. No show Friday because of K-State baseball moving up their start time Friday, Saturday, and Sunday against Youngstown State. Friday and Saturday will be first pitch at 4 o'clock. Sunday is at 
10 a.m. All right, Travion, here we go. It's time to predict some basketball cats and frogs tomorrow. Go ahead, hit it. Here's Mitch Ball with tonight's tomorrow. prediction. Prediction. K-State number 12, TCU number 22. K-State finishing with three more wins than the Horned Frogs. Cats finishing the regular season winning four of five. TCU finishes the regular season losing six of nine. And it feels like it's like every year, especially when the tournament has returned to Kansas City and we've had the addition of TCU West Virginia that it's like K-State plays TCU every year in Kansas City. Well, this will be the, the sixth time that has happened, so you're kind of right. Uh, K-State is 4-1 and one against TCU in the Big 12 tournament. All right, so these teams have already played each other twice. First meeting January 14th in Fort Worth. Uh, it was all Horn Frogs. Ugly game for K-State. They ended their nine-game winning streak as K-State committed 20 turnovers. That led to 26 fast-break points for the Horn Frogs. They win 82-68, does TCU. Meanwhile, the return game to Manhattan on February 7th. I can't believe that was over a month ago now. Uh, K-State had five and double figures. Marquise Noel led the way with 18 points. TCU did not have Mike Miles. They barely had Eddie Lampkin. And K-State won as they led wire to wire 82-61. to So basically, storyline number one is the first to 82 wins because the winning team has scored 82 points in both games. But really, we start with Eddie Lampkin. That was the news that we found out a few hours ago. Eddie Lampkin, who is the starting center for TCU, um, he's had an up and down season, some good games. Uh, I, you know, I, I consider more of a defensive threat, uh, threat than offensive. He's a good, good rebounder at six a game. Only averages six points a game, but he's been in and out with injuries. Uh, he's only played six of the last twelve games for TCU. He did not travel to Kansas City. He is uh, out due to uh, stepping away for personal reasons. But then we saw. On Eddie Lamkin's Twitter account that he or uh, Instagram account, he started to uh, put some screenshots up, and apparently, Jimmy Dixon has been saying some racially insensitive things. So obviously, that story is ongoing. Uh, but for now, Eddie Lamkin not playing. Jamie Dixon for now still coaching after those accusations. But like Coach Tang said, I mean, Eddie Lamkin's not the only big they have. Xavier Cork has been good. Jacoby Coles. Has performed well at times. They're just not as good defensively as uh, as Eddie Lamkin is. Uh, with that being said, points in the paint in the last three games, TCU is averaging allow, allowing an average of forty points in the paint the last three games. TCU does have Mike Miles back, the Big Twelve preseason Player of the Year, TCU second team All Big Twelve player. He's a point guard back from injury. He has played in the last five games, averaging 14 points a game. Now, he did not play in the game in Manhattan, but the game in Fort Worth, 13 points, 11 assists. That was by far his most assists this season. His second best day with assists is five. The reason he was racking up the assists is because of all of K-State's turnovers, leading to fast breaks, and Miles was leading those fast breaks. And that's kind of his M.O. this season. Yes, he can score. He loves to go inside, get in there and slash. But he also leads 
the fast breaks. Now, with that being said, TCU is still statistically the best fast point fast break team in the country at 18 a game. That used to be like 23 points a game. When he was out, those numbers started to drop. With him now back in the last five games, TCU's averaging about 14 points a game in fast break. Yeah, I mean, that if you're K-State, you don't want to allow that many points. If it does happen, and it is an average day right now the last five, I think you can survive. I, I, I think you can. Now, let's get to one thing that's been a huge issue for TCU this year. That's three-point shooting. They're worse in the Big 12. Just 29.9%. They have 4.6 makes per game. That is worse in the Big 12. And uh, K-State, their defense against TCU around the arc, TCU has not faced a team better than K-State when it comes to defense and protecting the arc and having a bad night shooting. K-State has held TCU to 15% and 17% from three in their two meetings for a combined 6 of 36 from three. Now, Emmanuel Miller is the best three-point shooter. At 42%, everybody else is 32% or less. But Miller only takes maybe a shot and a half a game from three. Maybe two from three a game. He's only made two in the last four games. Choco Bannon and Mike Miles are your three-point shooters. Their percentages just aren't good. They're under 32%. But TCU does make up for it when it comes to shooting from inside the arc. And again, that goes back to the fast break points. They got guards that like to slash. They have big guys that can score efficiently. Like I mentioned with uh, Cork and Coles, they are efficient offensively. Uh, in some games, they've been more efficient than Eddie Lampkin. But what you lose with Eddie Lampkin is better defense down in the paint uh, and his rebounding. And that is kind of the uh, identity, right, of Jamie Dixon Great defense, solid rebounders, something you kind of miss with Eddie Lampkin. But TCU is the best team when it comes to field goal percentage. Despite being the worst three-point shooting team in the conference, they are the best overall team in field goal percentage at 47%. That is because they they shoot a lot from two. They try to score a lot from two. 79% of their shots for TCU will be from two-point range. And then the final thing I want to bring up in Mitch Palm about K-State and TCU is turnovers. TCU second best at forcing turnovers at 14.7 a game. K-State's the worst team in the Big 12 in committing turnovers at 14.7 a game. Marquise Noel, this is probably the biggest key of the game. Marquise Noel, Keontae Johnson especially, of course the rest of the team, everybody needs to take care of the ball, but Marquise Noel and Keontae Johnson especially – because TCU has done a good job at focusing on those two guys and Noel and Johnson together in the two games have combined for 25 turnovers. That can't happen. I know they're down Eddie Lampkin and they're dealing with a lot of drama right now with Lampkin and apparently what Jamie Dixon has said uh, to the players. And again, that's allegedly claimed. That is still an ongoing you know, story. And we'll let that play out. I don't want to go any further than that, really. Um, but K-State can't let things get out of hand. And they can't beat themselves. They can't let TCU get out of run or else it could be a long night. It really could. K-State could get an early exit tomorrow if they don't take care of the basketball. Ken Palm gives K-State a 54% chance of winning. 74-73. Listen, going back to what I said earlier, if K-State just does the right thing, doesn't cough up too many turnovers... 
and just does their thing offensively, play some play some average defense. Um, I have the Cats winning. I will say because it's May, crazy things can happen. It is March. I'm going to give K-State a 66% chance of winning. Final score, Cats win 73-68. to All right, I'm going to check and see if they have that Your Mark audio. And when we come back, we plan to hear the press conference from moments ago with Big 12 Commissioner Brett Yormark after the break. All right, I have the Brett Yormark audio. He spoke to, uh, he's the Big 12 Commissioner, spoke to the media that's there for the Big 12 tournament. That begins in uh, about 35 minutes with West Virginia and Texas Tech from the T-Mobile Center in Kansas City. He gave the uh, media about 15 minutes to ask questions. Um, so I haven't heard any of this. I'm looking forward to it as hope as I, I hope as much as you are. And uh, so let's get to it. Uh, here is Brett Yormark earlier today, actually uh, less than an hour ago, with the media at the Big 12 tournament. Brett, Dennis Dodd, CBS Sports. In retrospect, now three or four years later, how important was it to get that media rights deal done when you did? I think it was critical. You know, I had, when I took the job August 1, although I had been thinking about it obviously previously to that, there was three things I really wanted to focus on. Uh, the first was to try to go early and get the TV deal done. I just felt we, we live in such an unpredictable world and it was important to have some clarity and to stabilize the conference. And I thought the best way to do that would to get a, a deal done with ESPN and Fox. Thankfully, they were willing to go early and, and we, we found common ground. And um, just thrilled we were able to do it because if you think about where we are today, seven months into the job, we're in a very different place than we were three or four months ago. You think about these media companies and the layoffs and some of their challenges and the fact that we were able to cement uh, a six-year extension with two of the biggest media partners in the business that truly elevate and glamorize our conference in every way possible. Um, I look back on that and I'm just thrilled. We, you know, the, the board and the collective stakeholder group felt that it was the right thing to do. And when you think about 2025, when the New Deal kicks in, we'll be the only Power Five conference that is both with ESPN and Fox. So when you think about marketing and unprecedented promotion, um, we're with the best in the business. So I'm, I'm thrilled about that. But as I was saying earlier, there was really three things I was focused on. One was the TV deal. Two was resolving the Oklahoma and, and Texas situation in a way that was amicable for all parties. If you recall, during media day um, for football, I said, it's got to be a win-win. And I think that's where we, we landed. It was good for all parties, and that's why we did the deal. And then the third you know, priority for me has been to explore expansion for all the right reasons. As I've said before, it's got to be additive. It's got to be accretive. Um, but we are focused on it, and we're exploring every and all possibility. And I say that um, while also saying that I love the composition, the makeup of this conference going forward. I love the four new schools that are coming in in July, the continuing eight. I think we're in a great place. But if there's a chance to get better, it's incumbent on me as the commissioner to explore those possibilities. And that's exactly what I'm doing. Commissioner Blair Kirkhoff with the Kansas City Star. Um, how much of the new contract involves basketball, and is there an opportunity for basketball, Big 12 basketball, to be 
I don't, I don't know, uh, increase its value to a television network? So I've said before, I think basketball, generally speaking, in our industry is undervalued. Um, why that is, I can't tell you. Obviously, it's been bundled with football uh, for the longest time. You know, we'll explore opportunities to further monetize basketball when we go back into the market after this new TV deal. So I think everything we do from now till then is all about value creation and how can we position ourselves to monetize basketball in all the right ways. I'm convinced we can do that. Um, the strength of our conference obviously will dictate much of that. And as I said earlier, with Houston coming in, we get that much stronger. And who knows where expansion takes us and what that means for our, you know, our, our basketball program, both men's and women's. So um, I'm excited about our future. Now, as it relates to our current partners, obviously ESPN does an incredible job glamorizing this conference throughout the basketball season. But in our new TV deal, Fox becomes a player in basketball. And I think based on their performance this year, um, which was, I guess, in the news yesterday, their ratings, et cetera, et cetera, that just gives us another shot in the arm, you know, as it relates to more exposure, more marketing, uh, for our member institutions and our conference. So I think it only gets better in the new TV deal as far as the growth of our basketball program and how we pr can promote it. Yeah, Barry Trammell with the Oklahoma. When you say uh, any expansion needs to be additive, are you talking about economically? Or are you talking about uh, branding? Every are you talking about strength? What, what exactly? Every respect. It's got to be the right... Every respect every, or all respect? Well... It's got to be a good cultural fit, first and foremost. We have a like-minded board, like-minded institutions, so we don't want to compromise that. So we need to, whoever comes in, ultimately, it has to have, there needs to be a cultural fit. Um, obviously, we, we look at geography, because I think that matters too. I've said it before, we want to be truly a national conference from a brand perspective, but also geographic footprint. So that matters. Performance matters, both academic and on the field and on the court. So we think about a lot of things when we explore expansion, not just one metric, but a couple. Is there uh, anything new on Gonzaga as a possible Big 12 candidate for basketball? I like Gonzaga, obviously a great program. Um, you know, my focus right now is to see what happens throughout our industry. You know, there's, there's a lot of moving parts and um, I continue to have conversations with Gonzaga, but I think as I prioritize what our next move might be in expansion, there's other things right now that I'm focused on. Brett, Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports. Um, when it comes to Kansas City, what is it that would keep you here? Why would you possibly consider looking at this tournament being somewhere else? Well, I haven't really considered moving this tournament. Obviously, this is, um, um, it's my first experience, and I've heard wonderful things about the fan support, the community, the engagement, how they rally around this, uh, this tournament. Uh, for this building in particular, it's probably one of the biggest weeks of the year. Um, I met with the staff here at the building yesterday. They're very passionate about this tournament. Uh, um, so I, I really haven't thought about an alternative. I'm really here to experience it for the first time, but from what I've seen and from the people I've spoken to, it's a great fit for our conference. Uh, you know, w walking around, 
you know, the, the community, power and light district, you know, the, the engagement, the activation, supporting our conference is fantastic. And we don't need to share our voice with anyone else. Uh, as I said earlier, you look at Vegas and there's four or five tournaments going on there right now. And, you know, we own this great city, you know, f throughout the week and it feels really good. So this is home and it's home through 27. And I don't see why we wouldn't continue beyond that. Brett Dennis Todd, CBS Sports. Once again, that is Brett Yormark at uh, the Big 12 tournament answering questions from the media. I believe there's a couple more here. So let's go ahead and play that. Commissioner, you've mentioned the importance of marrying athletics, the sports side of this with the entertainment side. You're dealing with a lot of administrative people, though, that are probably from the classic, from the old school side of, hey, this is all sports. What kind of reception have you gotten in your listening tour going around, and how have they received that message? It's a great question, and I will tell you that even dating back to when I interviewed for the job, I made it crystal clear that my vision for this conference was that we would live at the intersection of culture and sports. And my board and RADs all embraced that vision and that mission. We seeded that in our football championship earlier this year or last year. And then we've taken another big step forward here in Kansas City where we have post-events featuring Shaquille O'Neal and, and Fat Joe and national anthem singers. And we're, we've created, in partnership with Levy here at T-Mobile, a great culinary experience that's never been done before. We have raised the premium hospitality level for our best customers, courtside seating, a new championship club. So we feel that there is a, a balance that needs to be played out here. Um, but seeding culture into what already existed, I think, is a, is, a, is a great step for us as a conference. I think it's a big differentiator for us. I don't know if you have, did, you, did all of you hear our new anthem song? No Nights Off? Um, so, you know, that anthem is not just about basketball. Um, it's really about the DNA of this conference how we're gonna be gritty. It's all about hard work, passion, commitment. Um, obviously, we've seen a lot of that during the basketball season, but it really speaks to who we are as a conference going forward and our DNA. And um, I'm really excited about what the opportunities are in front of us and how we can truly live at the intersection of culture and sports. Yeah, Brett, uh, getting uh, Fox and ESPN both on board for basketball is great. But neither one has a piece of the uh, NCAA tournament, which is signed up through 32. A lot of, uh, of uh, dismay among coaches and administrators that the biggest uh, marketer of college basketball, ESPN, doesn't have a part of the NCAA tournament. Going forward, would you like to see that changed? And CBS not having, and TNT not keeping the others, uh, keeping the others out of the, uh, of the NCAA pie? I have not thought about it in, in that, you know, from that perspective, but I think whatever media partners give us the biggest voice, can glamorize this tournament, promote it, market it, uh, bring it to casual fans in addition to hardcore fans, is where it should ultimately reside. Um, I think Turner and CBS have done a great job. 
but you know we, we need to explore all options, and I'm sure Charlie Baker will ultimately do that. Let's go to the second row here. Yeah, Brett, Max Olson from The Athletic. Um, you mentioned in, in talking with your partners, ESPN and Fox, on the New Deal. How did you kind of land in the right place in terms of that, that split of um, linear versus streaming, especially with football, and kind of where this is going versus what your member institutions want? Well, it's a great question. You know, for us, we could have waited it out and maybe pursued something that was more streaming focused. But I just felt, based on where we are as a conference today, we needed the biggest distribution possible. We need the biggest platform to promote uh, and market our member institutions. You know, I think we have brands that are right on the cusp, and we want to make those into household brands, and there's no one better than ESPN and Fox to do that for us. They're great marketing partners. Uh, you think about what they did even this year with game day and big noon. I mean, it was just incredible for our conference. They gave us just a huge narrative, and that will continue and continue to grow moving forward. But there's a healthy mix of, of streaming. You know, when you think about Big 12 now on ESPN Plus, um, but being on the biggest stage possible with ESPN and Fox was critically important to us. And it was a driver, in fact. We got time for two more questions. Uh, we'll go here first. Randy Peterson, Des Moines Register. A couple questions back. You mentioned courtside seating. Have those seats where we used to sit, have those all been sold? Yes, sir. Every single one of them. And I know you're probably not happy about being displaced from those courtside seats, and I'm sorry about that. But that was a decision I made, and I announced that in October during media day. I made it crystal clear that we had to go through a transformative moment, try to drive value to our, our best donors and our best customers while also increasing revenue. And that was one of the reasons I was put in this chair as commissioner. Um, but trust me, the media is very important to me. I've always had a great relationship with the media. I'm very accessible. I want to do right by you guys. If there's ways we can you know, better the experience moving forward in next year, I'm open to it. I'm open to your comments and thoughts. But it was the right decision for this conference on a go-forward basis. But I appreciate the question. Okay, our last question will be here on the second row. Under the new TV, TV deal, Brett, with uh, ESPN in particular, with them being so invested with the SEC, how do you see ESPN Plus playing a bigger role or smaller role in some of the content that's going to be provided by the conference? Well, we have had many discussions uh, with ESPN on the digital side, and we, we, it's part of the new agreement. We will look to rebrand, uh, to look to upgrade, we're looking at production and ways we can further enhance that. So ESPN uh, has made a, a huge commitment to us on building that platform and presenting all of our sports in the best way possible. And uh, I'm excited about that and how that's going to evolve. Okay, so that's Brett Yormark. Uh, I, I appreciate you um, sticking in with me, listening to all that. That was the first time I had heard the press conference today, and I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, obviously, there was a ton of talk about the new TV deal with ESPN and Fox moving forward starting in the fall of 2025. And, of course, now you know, we'll see Big 12 hoops on Fox as well as ESPN. So you got a couple of destinations there. I, you know, I, I guess I do have a couple of, of takeaways. I, I suppose you know just the Gonzaga news is, is, would be the biggest takeaway. I, I thought it went a little bit long with the uh, – 
with the television talk there, obviously they're going to still continue to look to improve in any way they can. That's what Brett Yormark is here to do as our Big 12 commissioner. Not focused right now on Gonzaga. Not surprised to hear that, especially with the recent news we had heard, and that is Brett Yormark is 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 in discussions. He has you know, talked with Colorado, Utah, the Arizona schools about expansion. He is able to been to get in their ear and put it in their uh, put it in their options to jump ship and join the um, the the Big Twelve. And Brett Yormark has the goal of making the Big Twelve coast to coast, and obviously that would strengthen K State or K State the Big Twelve. With adding the markets of Salt Lake City, Denver, bringing that back to the Big Twelve, and Phoenix, Arizona. You know, Phoenix is one of the biggest sports markets. It's it's a top fifteen sports market. So uh, putting Gonzaga kind of on the back burner, not a surprise, especially since it's just a basketball option. To make the big moves, you're looking for programs that have football. That that is obvious. But I did think the Gonzaga news was. Uh, was certainly notable. So we're not expecting at any time, anytime soon, to get of Gonzaga being added as a uh, a Big Twelve program. And what a what Randy Randy Peterson bring from the from uh, he's an Iowa State beat writer. We've had him on the show many times. Uh, he's from the Des Moines Register, bringing up the uh, the media seating. They've they've moved us up to the nosebleeds. Thanks, Brett, for that. All the way up to the nosebleeds, we got to climb a bunch of stairs back down the stairs to get to the, all the media stuff. It's kind of whatever to me, but I thought it was a, a funny question. It said he's open up to uh, suggestions on how to make our experience better. I do have a suggestion. Suites uh, to sit in, if there's some available. I think that'd be fantastic. Uh, but also, how about, uh, how about some drinks? How about some drinks? I like a cold one once in a while while I'm watching the game. Who doesn't? Uh, but him expanding the brain, I think he's done that a great job of with the Big 12 tournament. I mean, adding adding Shaquille O'Neal, adding, um, I don't know how famous he is now, but he was a famous rapper, Jordan Sparks, people know who she is to sing the national anthem. Doing those kind of things and making those kind of moves to have them associated with your tournament, that's not a bad move whatsoever. Adding an anthem, I mean, it may sound goofy, but it just grabs more attention towards the Big 12 in any way. I mean, any publicity is good publicity, and it may sound like a goofy song. Nobody else has one, and nobody else is putting in that kind of effort to expanding the brand. So I'm enjoying the work that Brett Yormark has done so far. All right, when we come back, we'll get you a number one song of the day after these words. Make a change for once in my life. It's gonna feel real good. Gonna make a difference. Gonna make Travion knew it'd just be us two today. You haven't got to talk a whole lot today. And I have a surplus of Mike Jack songs. <laughs> I know we had one pretty recently. Yes, um, Troy did number two song of the day with Girl Is Mine. Not too long ago. From 1988, Man in the Mirror by Michael Jackson, two weeks at number one. 
the king of pop. Of course, you know, was a member of the Jackson 5. Eighth kid of the Jackson family. Then went solo in 71. You know, one of the best-selling artists of all time. Over 400 million records sold. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame a couple of times he passed away. You know, basically overdosed on medication, right? Propofol. Propofol, that's... Anesthesia. Yeah. Uh, 10 studio albums, 38 top 40 hits. His 10th of 13 number ones. And, of course, is from his 7th studio album called Bad. The best one, in my opinion. Okay. I was about to ask. Like, would you, p- would you pick Bad over Thriller? Bad's always been, like my favorite like album cycle i love that era like everything to do with it what is your what's your favorite song off the bad album (sighs) that's a tough one i don't know it just it changes all the time because like i do feel like all the songs are like five out of five every single one well he has said at one point that he only records number one hits and he had like five on this album no yes. joke. Yes. Five of them. Only him and Katy Perry have the record for five number one uh, singles off an album. Uh, let's see here. Okay, so. So this song is about making a change and realizing that it has to start with you. Now, on this bad album, I mean, it was very rare that Michael Jackson would record a song, put it on an album that he didn't write. But this one he did not write. Do you know the other song on this album that he did not write? Uh, Just Good Friends? That is correct. Yeah, with Stevie Wonder. I don't know who wrote that song. I don't know if it's Stevie that wrote that song. I don't know. So you might have to help me out with this name. So Saida Garrett. Saida Garrett? Yes. Okay, Saida Garrett. I was wondering about the first name. Yeah, she wrote the song with Glenn Ballard, and she also sang. Whoa, 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 whoa! Oh, oh! oh. I, I, let me get to the story. Okay. All right. Okay. I know you. Well, do you want to tell us the story about how this song was written? Do you I, know the song? Do you, I actually, I, it, it's not like the craziest story in the world, but yeah. I really enjoyed it because I could picture it in my mind, right. On how everything went down. You could say it better than I can off okay. the top of my head. So, Saida Garrett was a part of Quincy Jones, this like production group. Right, and he and he called this meeting. He's like, "All right, we need to put together some hits. We need something to propose to Michael to put on his to put on his next record." So Garrett took that as, you know, "All right, I got some homework. Let me go home and I'm gonna try to work this out." Because she had somebody she was working with by the name of Glenn Ballard, like you mentioned, who was a nobody at the time, but would later on co-write and produce Alanis Morissette. Yes, yes. And her her hits. Even some No Doubt stuff he did as well. So they sat down, they started messing around, and then Garrett, or uh, not Garrett, but Ballard kind of works out this jam, and she's looking through this notebook. She's like, oh, I can, she has like a notebook full of lyrics. And then all of a sudden she sees Man in the Mirror. She's like, oh my God, it just hit me. And then like a couple of days later, they recorded the demo and sent it to Quincy Jones. Quincy heard it. He's like, I love it. But again, Michael doesn't really take on songs that he didn't write. But we'll get back to you. Gets back to them three days later and says, Michael loved it. And she's like, oh, my God, I'm freaking out. I've never written a big song. I've never really written any songs before. And all of a sudden, Michael likes my first 
big one that I'm truly proud of, but there's one's there's one issue, right? All right, Michael wants to record it, but he has a bit of an issue with the with the chorus. He wants to stretch it out a little bit. And then Quincy's like the middleman between her and Michael. Well, then Michael gets on the phone and starts talking to her. First thing he says is, I love your song and I love your voice. All right, so let's let's put yourself in her shoes. You just wrote a song for Michael Jackson. Michael's then on the phone talking to you and says he loves your song and your voice. And you're an up-and-comer at best in the business. You would flip out. And you would lose it. Maybe just a little. You would you would moonwalk across your apartment floor. Maybe <laughs> even on the ceiling. That's the part of it I'm like picturing in my mind. Yes, I'm sure that was just an incredible moment in her life. That sure. and she's probably she probably tells that story once a week for the last thirty five years. Sure, she probably goes on tour and tells that uh, you know whatever she's doing because she's still a singer songwriter. Yeah, she does a lot of um, she goes to a lot of Michael events and does Q and A things and really yeah she's really cool with the fans which is awesome. Well, that relationship actually started to blossom with Michael Jackson. They met each other. They really liked each other. It wasn't anything romantic. They're just, they kind of turned into good friends. And then Michael's like, I love your voice so much. I want to record a duet with you. Like, how does life as a singer-songwriter get much better than that? I think it was even a little bit more, like, secretive than that because I believe... Quincy Jones was like, oh, Michael wants to like produce a song for you. And she was like, okay. And so she goes in the studio and then she sees two mics set up and she's like, oh, I'm doing this with somebody. And then she looks at the lyrics and it's like Michael Saida, Michael Saida. Oh, she's like, oh, I'm doing a duet with, and she started freaking out, which is like, if you ever watched the Bad 25 documentary, that's one of my favorite moments. And I'm sure you know the song, right? Yes. I just can't stop loving you. And that got her on tour yes, with Michael Jackson. However, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I believe she called off her part of the tour on the Bad Tour early yes. because she wanted to record her own album. Yes, she didn't go on the Bad Tour at all. And that's when they hired um, Sheryl Crow, yes. unknown Sheryl Crow. Unknown Sheryl Crow got her job. But then, she, what was the next studio album? Dangerous. Um, dangerous. Then, she yeah. she got back on the tour. Mm-hmm. She got mm-hmm. back on tour with Michael Jackson and the rest is history. But she said, I, I was watching something about, um, it was like some Michael Jackson thing and she was talking about how like their relationship kind of after that tour ended. Like hadn't seen him until, like really until he died actually. Right, right. But says like Michael was like a brother to her. That's cool. An instrumental version of this song was played at Michael Jackson's memorial on July 7th, 2009. I was actually also looking into his memorial. Right. Uh, more like info on that memorial. Mm-hmm. I was, remember watching it live. It, I, I didn't get to watch it live. Um, I was work. I remember working that day, and it was before, obviously, we could watch TV on our phones. Right. Um, so I, did, I, I wanted to watch it, but I didn't. But I, I was doing some reading about it because I was interested because I've never really looked into it that much. It was estimated that 2.5 to 3 billion people across the world watched it. Yes. 2.5 billion. There's like maybe 8 billion people in the world. Right. 
I thought right there told the story of how Michael Jackson was and will probably forever be the biggest star in the history of our world. Yeah, the biggest celebrity ever, arguably. I mean, to me, he bigger than the bigger than the Beatles. Yeah, yeah. I more as a presence, more. So, I feel like the Beatles spread is more so musically than just like the presence of them. You know, where Michael was just like. It was both, obviously, but I feel like his just his image so universally giant. I don't think we have time for uh, any Ask Us Anything. Not quite, but that is okay. <laughs> That's all right. We'll wrap it up now. Travion, thank you for your knowledge once again on Mike Jack. Yes. Anytime. No show tomorrow, no show Friday. Heading to the Big 12 tournament. K-State Baseball coming up Friday at 4 with pregame at 3.30. Cats play... Women at 5, minute 8.30 tomorrow. Go Cats!